Hey there, and welcome to Health Yeah with Gene O'Connor, the president of the board of directors for the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors. You can find more information about NACDD at chronicdisease.org. As always, I'm Joseph Rhodes, your friendly podcast producer. Well, today's podcast is jam-packed, full of information. Gene O'Connor sits down with Dr. Laura Seif, Director of CDC's Office of Health Systems Collaboration. And they just go over a lot of information. Really great stuff. So let's get into the podcast and learn a thing or two. Welcome, Dr. Laura Seif, to the NACDD podcast series on population health improvement. We're excited to have you join us. I'm Jean O'Connor, and I'm the current president of NACDD and a state-level public health practitioner. I'll be your host today. Dr. Seif, can you tell us a little bit about your work at CDC um, in the office of, now tell me the title again, Office of? Of Health Systems Collaboration. Terrific. Today, I'm Laura Seif, and I direct CDC's Office of Health Systems Collaboration, which is located in CDC, the CDC Director's Policy Office. And as the name implies, so the name, the Office of Health Systems Collaboration, my office, as part of the larger policy office, works across CDC organizational units. So CDC is structured more or less around health conditions and health behaviors and their science and program in those units. So we work across those units to help translate effective public health prevention and control practices into action by health systems. So at a very practical level, that might mean helping a health system change coverage, helping a plan change coverage to ensure inclusion of effective prevention practices, or helping a health system better deliver effective preventive services. And through this kind of work, we've seen really wonderful examples of healthcare and public health working together in partnership to improve population health. So you must work with health plans then and states and health systems across the country. Is that right? Correct. We are focusing our, um, the types of initiatives we've designed are um, delivered in partnership with employers who are responsible for purchasing health care for their employees with plans who obviously um, make insurance coverage decisions and with providers who deliver these, these services with a focus around highlighting the evidence of what works best to both prevent and control a condition or, and or to curb costs. So we're really focusing on improving health care quality and on helping bend the cost curve. That's terrific. I mean, that's really interesting and sounds really important. So can you explain for our listeners how your work really relates to population health improvement? I mean, obviously, you're working with these plans. Can, can you describe a little bit about more about what the 618 initiative really does to improve population health outcomes? Sure. And let me, if you don't mind, first broadly speak about something that we call a prevention and population health framework we, we refer to as the three buckets of prevention. 
that frames what we mean by population health and frames the work of the 618 and actually a sister initiative that I'll talk a little bit about. Um, and this three buck as a prevention, there's a wonderful commentary written by John Auerbach in the Journal of Public Health Management and Practice for your listeners that want to read a little bit more. Um, and it has an illustration of these three buckets of prevention. And the intent of this um, commentary and this framework is first to acknowledge that the term population health is, is really spoken at all the tables that all of us sit at these days, but doesn't necessarily mean the same thing for every audience. So we know that in a clinical setting, the population in population health typically refers to the patient panel for whom a health system is responsible. And the health in population health typically refers to clinical health. Whereas through a public health lens, the population and pop population health refers to everybody living in a geographically defined region and health is inclusive of both clinical health and the non-clinical determinants of health or the social determinants of health. And so across this, this continuum of population health, there's different kinds of prevention. And we, we've called those th these three buckets of prevention. Bucket one is traditional clinical prevention that's delivered to individuals in clinical settings. Um, so think things like colorectal cancer screening or immunizations. Most of these services are covered, uh, you know, barrier-free, and, and many of them are, are delivered at, at appropriate rates, but none really as well as they, at the rates we'd like to see in order for them to really affect the cost and health change. Bucket two extends care and prevention from the clinical setting into the community. Uh, so an example, he, and delivered to individuals, but in, in community settings. So an example here would be a covered home blood pressure cuff that would allow a hypertensive patient to help manage their own blood pressure in between doctor's visits. Or the use of a covered, a reimbursed community health worker to go into the home, assess the home for asthma triggers as a critical way to help control asthma in a clinical setting. And then bucket three is delivered not to individuals, but to communities. So think here things like tobacco ordinances that allow an entire community to breathe smoke-free air. We really understand that in order to truly improve population health, we need to be thinking across all three buckets. The 618 initiative is intentionally a bucket one, bucket two initiative that targets improving effective services that are delivered to individuals in clinical settings and in community settings. Um, so the 618 initiative, again, you know, sits inside those buckets as a bucket one, bucket two initiative. And again, it, it targets, because it's bucket one, bucket two, and focuses on clinical services, again, it targets employers who purchase health care for their employees, health plans, both public and private, who make ins insurance coverage decisions, and health care providers who actually need to buy into and, del and deliver or recommend these preventive services. The six in 618 comes from a focus on six common, costly, and preventable health conditions. So tobacco use, high blood pressure, diabetes, asthma, healthcare-acquired infections, and unintended pre pregnancies. And 
if you look anywhere in the country, these are going to be common conditions and they're costly. And we really needed to focus this initiative on a short set of things that people could pay attention to. So we started with those six. And the 18 and 618 comes initially, there were 18 evidence-based um, prevention interventions that are associated with those six. We actually each year update our evidence. And we, while the name of the initiative will remain the same, the number of, of interventions may change. And in fact, the number of health conditions we pay attention to may change. So if you were to look on our website and count the interventions, you'd see right now that actually they number 17. Two of them were collapsed. So the 618 initiative, again, is built on a healthcare and public health partnership at the federal level. So CDC and CMS partner very closely. And at a state level, um, and, and certainly in terms of a medic, in a Medicaid setting. And so in the work that we do in a Medicaid setting, there are very strong partnerships between Medicaid and public health. And it's supported by a public-private partnership, um, again, between federal and state governmental agencies, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and the Center for Healthcare Strategies, who themselves bring complementary expertise in payment policy and delivery of preventive services. Um, we're focusing on uh, Medicaid populations and then in other beneficiary populations. In a Medicaid setting, we are working in 15 states where there's a strong partnership between the state Medicaid agency and health departments and in the District of Columbia and in a local health department so we can understand how a local health department partners with a Medicare managed care organization. And we have seen, and you know this because George has been a really wonderful partner, we've seen um, health departments and state Medicaid agencies use this initiative as a really good opportunity to strengthen their working relationship to together improve population health for those populations for whom they are duly responsible. Um, we've also been really pleased that many national organizations have been at the table with us and expanding this initiative in their own setting. So organizations like the Association of State and Territorial Health Officers, or ASTO, the National Association of Medicaid Directors, or NAMD, and of course, the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors. And in addition to the work on the public payment side, CDC's also been in dialogue with several large commercial health plans. So we can think about um, ensuring that these evidence-based interventions are made available really to any, any insured person, regardless of what type of insurance they have. That's exciting. I'm, I'm wondering if you can maybe describe an example of the 618 initiative at work. Can you describe maybe one of those in action and, and what that looks like? So let me describe one, and then I'm going to go ahead and give you a, an example of some you know, wonderful work a state has done. So let's focus on tobacco. Smoking-related health conditions cost the United States more than $300 billion in a year. The 618 initiative focuses on, again, clinical and community interventions around tobacco cessation. In a clinical setting... The 618 interventions focus on removing any barriers to tobacco cessation medications. So that means, you know, removing copay, removing prior authorization. So all the FDA-approved tobacco cessation medications should be available barrier-free to um, a smoker who's in Medicaid. Um, in addition, the second 618 initiative around tobacco cessation is removing any barriers to cessation counseling, which typically occurs in a community. So whether that counseling is delivered to an individual, to a group, 
by telephone in person, that also needs to be delivered barrier-free. And then third, once those interventions are available barrier-free, uh, the 618 initiative highlights the benefit of then promoting those covered benefits um, as a way to increase their utilization. So the state of South Carolina has been um, a wonderful partner in 618, and that's a state whose Medicaid agency and health department had not traditionally worked together um, around health promotion and population health. And in fact, their collaboration began in a six-hour car ride from South Carolina to Atlanta for the first 618 meeting that was held in February 2016. And they have since forged an incredibly strong relationship and collaboration um, among other topics around tobacco cessation. And they've been able to make real tangible improvements in really a short amount of time. So here are a couple of things that they've been able to do. As of last July 1, July 1, 2017, the South Carolina Medicaid Agency has removed all those barriers to tobacco cessation treatment and counseling. So again, no, pay, no co-pays, no prior authorizations, and that's to all Medicaid beneficiaries in the state, whether they're in fee-for-service or managed care. Across their managed care, South Carolina has been able to standardize coverage. So all of their Medicaid managed care organizations are now offering um, barrier-free cessation treatment and counseling. Um, and now South Carolina, both the Medicaid agency and the, health, and the health department are working together to educate both providers and consumers about these newly covered benefits. And then they will use their quitline data, their community data, and their Medicaid claims data together so they can monitor the impact of these efforts. And then lastly, really because of the structure around which we bring state agencies together. So, so on a monthly basis, these two state agencies and all the participating states come together with CDC on the phone, with CMS on the phone, with the Center for Healthcare Strategy on the phone to really sort of roll up your sleeves and work through how to improve coverage and delivery of these services. Through those calls, South Carolina was made aware of additional supports to the quit line that CMS could provide. So really leverage the 618 initiative to not only make these payment policy changes, but to actually expand services to their quit line. That's a terrific example. That's amazing and, and that great success. Thank you so much for sharing that. Was there something else that you were said you were going to share also, another example or to talk a little bit more about 618? So I'd like to actually talk a little bit about a sister initiative at CDC, CDC's High Five initiative. Please, please. I think a lot of us have heard about that, but especially yeah. for our listeners who work at the state level, we may not have had as much opportunity to be involved or be directly engaged. So I think an explanation would be fantastic. The frame we want people to think about is, is the bucket frame and improving um, prevention and population health in clinical settings all the way to community settings. Um, and so both the 618 and the High Five, again, are kind of sister initiatives that sit across the bucket. So in addition to the work we're doing in 618, which again is really bucket one, bucket two, so improving prevention for individuals in clinical and community settings, we are also focusing on community-wide approaches um, and prevention at the population level. Interventions that address the conditions in the places where we live, learn, work, and play of course, have enormous um, potential impact 
on our health. And by focusing on these non-clinical determinants of health or social determinants of health, we can really improve the health of everyone living in a community. So CDC's High Five stands for Health Impact in Five Years, highlights like the 618 identified 18 interventions, the High Five initiative focused on 14 effective interventions that are non-clinical and community-wide, all of which have a positive health impact within five years of implementation and have shown to be cost-effective or cost savings over the lifetime of the population. These upstream interventions address the context that, that affects the health decisions people make and the social, economic, and environmental conditions and risk factors in which people live, learn, work, and play. So again, to go back to the tobacco example, if you think across the three buckets, we want a health system in the community to be thinking about making cessation counseling barrier-free in communities to individuals, and then, of course, pairing that with things like the passage of smoke-free ordinances that allow an entire community to breathe smoke-free air. So you're really thinking about what can you do in a clinical setting all the way through to, um, to a community setting. The actor who's responsible for kind of affecting change across those three buckets vary. So more or less, the health system is, is kind of responsible for delivering bucket one kinds of interventions. By the time you get to bucket three high vibe interventions, we're really thinking about a collaborative of cross-sector partnerships that need to make those sorts of changes both within and outside the healthcare, healthcare setting. But there is enormous um, potential to do that. And I think both population health, public health, chronic disease and health system sectors are really thinking about how to address health both in and outside the healthcare setting and are, are really beginning to think about kind of affecting change and responsibility in a clinical setting, both for patients for whom a clinical setting is responsible, but thinking more broadly at the community level. That's great. I mean, that sounds really exciting and a nice compliment to the 618 initiative, a good example of how um, public health can really contribute, hopefully. As you've talked about High Five and 618 um, and the three buckets of prevention, you're really framing how CDC is thinking about population health improvement overall. So when we, we think, though, about our, you know, our listeners and many of the people out in the field in, in state and local public health or perhaps working in health systems, tell me you're thinking about training opportunities or if you could recommend one way for our listeners to advance their skills or knowledge around the things you've discussed today, what, what would that be? So CDC's website hosts a lot of resources around specifically the two initiatives I talked about today, um, 618 and High Five. So the first one is www.cdc.gov backslash and then the letters that spell 618, so S-I-X-E-I-G-H-T-E-E-N. And then the High Five website is www.cdc.gov backslash HI5. And both of those web addresses, um, again, support resources that describe the evidence behind each of the interventions in each of those initiatives. For the 618, the resources talk about the work that we're doing in Medicaid programs in, on each of those websites is actually downloadable slide deck with talking points so your listeners could actually familiarize themselves with the content and then deliver the content in their own communities in a kind of a train-the-trainer. 
we think these materials are really can be um, helpful and practical, and they really are designed to be used. You know, a really common CDC role in the way we've focused our role here is our job was to synthesize and package the evidence, and it's for really your listeners and partners in public health and, and health systems to utilize that evidence. So that's one way people can become familiar with and, you know, sort of trained in this content, but actually use it. And then we also host, we and many partners, including NACDD, host um, very regular webinars around the work we do to advance population health. In the 618 initiative, we host peer-to-peer webinars that are closed to participating states so that states can teach each other what they're learning. We, I think this is going to be no surprise to your listeners, but in all that we do at CDC, often the most valuable for a state is to learn what another state is doing. So we host those sorts of peer-to-peer webinars. We also host externally facing, open to the public webinars that typically include all the commercial health plans we're working with, all the public health plans we're working with, all the private uh, or all the provider groups we're working with, and all the public health entities that might talk through one particular sticky issue. So we recently had a webinar focusing again on the tobacco cessation um, interventions made barrier-free as a, as a key 618 intervention to reduce smoking. With all of the things that we hope happens in, in the 618 initiative, making those interventions barrier-free, educating the consumer about them, making the coverage changes. Still, there sometimes is a breakdown between the provider recommending receipt of those covered services to the beneficiary, the beneficiary getting the service, and then them not being charged for the service. So we recently had a webinar that walked through what are all those things that may have gone wrong in the event that this covered service actually does not get delivered? And so those are the kinds of webinars we're hosting, you know, really practical understanding how these things should work and what, what goes right and sometimes what goes wrong. And then as another piece of what the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation is supporting the Center for Healthcare Strategies to do, we will be designing a shared learning platform where the evidence behind 618 and the best practices of how to put 618 into implementation will be housed. And this will be an interactive learning platform, again, that's for all of the partners, purchasers, plans, providers, and public health to continue to learn. And then I would say lastly, in addition to these kinds of, you know, sort of organized learning opportunities, this really is a wonderful time to forge partnerships across sectors. And I'd really encourage your listeners to be, whether they are in health systems or public health, to be thinking about strengthening existing relationships and thinking about their peers and other sectors as partners in population health. Yeah, that's great. That's so true. I think really in the field right now, we need those cross-sector collaborations. We need those good partners in order to have an impact. I mean, so many of our listeners who work in state and local public health programs are you know, grant-funded. They have a specific set of objectives that being in government, there's a limit to what we can get done on our own, and mm-hmm. um, those partnerships are, are critical. So that's yeah. wonderful advice. Thank you. Are there major areas of opportunity or trends you see in population health improvement on the horizon? If so, what are they? So, yeah, the U.S. healthcare system continues to be in a time of dynamic change, um, influencing 
the health of, of populations, but also providing, again, these wonderful opportunities for prevention and population health and for linkage across um, health systems and, and public health. Um, and many health systems themselves really are exploring both the ability to improve coordination of care for the individual patient and thinking about how to um, consider the health needs of larger populations. So, you know, among the trends that we continue to see are payment changes, which continue. So we see a continued movement away from fee-for-service payment and delivery models where providers are reimbursed for the number of procedures they deliver to value-based alternative models where provider and provider systems are, are being reimbursed for improving the quality of care. And many of those alternative payment models, things like accountable care organizations and patient-centered medical homes, are by design much more patient-centered and, again, really facilitate the delivery and payment for prevention. And these models are also really, again, increasing opportunities to link clinical care and community care and CDC and CMS are continuing to work together to explore new partnerships for traditional public health entities. So one really nice example of that, and I'm sure your listeners are familiar with this, is the recently released CMS Accountable Health Community Model, which is being tested across the country. And that model really leverages state and local partnerships to support providers and improve beneficiary health and reduce costs through cl clinical community partnerships. And ASTA has been a wonderful partner to CDC around the release of the Accountable Health Community Model, helping CDC and CMS educate state health officials about the model and highlight opportunities for state health officials and, in fact, chronic disease directors to engage in the implementation of these models where appropriate. And then in addition to that model, again, defined as the accountable health community, there are also in communities across the country what we call accountable communities for health, which similarly bring together leaders from multiple sectors with the common goal of addressing the underlying structural determinants of health and improving health care to improve health outcomes and lower health care costs. And this is another place where CDC, many offices across CDC have been trying to support state and local health departments, again, in understanding what their entry points and opportunities for collaboration may be. Both those AHCs and ACHs have bridge organizations that link clinical and community care, and CDC is working with CMS to, to provide guidance and expertise to those bridge organizations that, again, link in public health where appropriate. And often public health understands the community in a way that's really unique um, and is an enormous asset to the clinical sector. Is there anything else, Dr. Cease, that you'd like to tell our listeners? Anything for them as they go about their work in addition to the partnership piece? I think one other thing I would encourage listeners to do, again, just to reinforce the message I've, I think I've shared throughout is you know, as much as possible thinking about care across three buckets and thinking about what interventions work in each of the three as kind of a coordinated approach to, to health. And then lastly, for my benefit, I'd love to hear from you. I know a little bit how NACDD has been participating, and NACDD has been a wonderful partner 
around the 618 initiative, particularly around the, di- the National Diabetes Prevention Program. But I'd love to hear more from you, how you see NACDD members in particular partnering around the 618 or the High Five initiative. Yeah, I mean, I think many of our listeners are interested in 618 or High Five. So one of the things we're trying to do this year, and this is part of my challenge as president um, of the association this year, is to encourage um, our members to learn about population health improvement, to think about all the different ways that um, that is defined and, and the ways that they can contribute to that area through their work. You know, the, the other engagement, I think, with NACDD, and as you know, is that the association has been represented at many of the 618-related meetings that have been held, and, and many of our members and board members serve in a leadership capacity in their state around uh, the implementation of 618. So, because four of the six are chronic disease prevention-related, right. you know, I, it feels like it's very close to, to the work of our, of our members. Um, and, and we have some other activities, for example, around diabetes. The association has had work for a number of years around the Diabetes Prevention Program and supporting states and, and others in collaboration with CDC around implementation of that intervention. So I think there's a lot of crossover, and it, it's exciting to me to um, have this partnership with, with all of you and so delighted that you accepted this invitation to be interviewed and looking forward to continuing to work together. That is wonderful. I, I really appreciate the invitation and I agree that there are uh, critical partnerships to be strengthened and, and NACDD has really been a wonderful partner. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. This has been informative. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Laura Seif from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. If you'd like to know more information about any of that, you can go to cdc.gov slash 618, and that's S-I-X-E-I-G-H-T-E-E-N. Also, check out cdc.gov slash high five, H-I-F-I-V-E. Well, that's going to wrap up another episode of Health Yeah! I hope you found it informative and entertaining like I did. On behalf of NACDD and Gene O'Connor, thank you very much for listening.